He'll be in my prayers for a better future Love with Ruben Torres and Mark Thousand. Hello, folks. Here we are tonight. Uh, we have a show with two great guests. Unfortunately, right at the moment, both guests are MIA, Ruben. <laughs> I'm looking at the <laughs> dashboard. No one's calling in. Our own Jersey's own Daryl Brooks hasn't called in. A Ruben surprised, <laughs> very credentialed uh, guest. Linda Martin Alcoff. Uh, she's yeah. also scheduled to appear. And so far, nothing. I'm looking at the, <laughs> right at the dashboard. No one's called in. So anyway, I guess we'll just have to start with, it, it looks like it's over. Uh, oh, I, it I applaud Senator Cruz for withdrawing at this point. Uh, any further efforts would have been futile and more negative than positive. So uh, congratulations well, to Ted Cruz. He, he fought the good fight, but uh, we're in a strange time. Ruben, oh, a caller is coming in. Hold on. Ah, I told her, yeah. Hello? Hello, Hi, how are you, Linda? You are on the Hi. air, Ms. Uh, Alcoff. Hi, how are you? All we right. are fine. Now, you, wait a second. We have two guests tonight. Both of you called in almost simultaneously. Uh, he's a... Uh, <laughs> African-American Tea Party gentleman friend of mine. Hold on a second. I'm going to introduce him. Hello, Darrow. You're on the air. Hey, Mark. How you doing? How's everything going? Freedom. Everything's going fine. You're on the air. There's four of us here. Uh, okay. Ms. Alcoff, uh, we had uh, many machinations going on in New Jersey that Darrow and I were involved with, and I promised to give him ten minutes on the air, ma'am. Uh, after that, the floor will be all yours. But, Daryl, you asked me to call. Could you call in? I said, sure. What's on your mind, sir? You know, I, um, I'm i excited about what's happening in elections uh, this year and about the change that is happening, with, especially with the GOP and how, you know, the difference of uh, Trump. But, Mark, 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 is, Mark, Mark. Mark uh, Yes. Linda, Hello? Linda you, you, do you mind if you if you want to call or do you want to stay or do you want to call back in 10 minutes? No, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm interested to hear what he says. <laughs> oh, thank okay, you. No yeah, you, we all okay. should be. Thank, thank you very much, ma'am. Okay, go ahead, Daryl. You know, I'm, I'm excited about Trump, and uh, but, you know, I want to tell all the listeners and all those that are involved that, you know, definitely uh, freedom movements and Tea Party movements and, and, you know, libertarians and any other that's out there that, you know, from the GOP and other ones that, you know, we have to also uh, do things, um, keep on pushing and for uh, freedoms around the state. And, you know, there's a lot of people, you know, and there's a lot of people that are suffering out there in this country. And uh, they need people like ourselves, like yourselves, like your, 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 your radio show and others, you know, to really stand up for the people and stand up for what's right. And uh, because this country right now is going totally to, you know, I can say this on internet radio, totally to hell. And, um, you know, we have to be the force behind people like Trump. And, you know, well, make Darryl, sure. Darryl, and, let me ask you a question. Uh, the, uh, yeah. the devil's advocate uh, uh, response I get from a lot of Tea Party crew supporters is that Donald is liberal. And now, how would you respond to that sort of criticism? Well, I, I think that, you know, we really have to start um, investigating um, our, our candidates. And, uh, you know, I don't think Donald Trump is a, a liberal. And, um, you know, and you got to figure out, you know, what is a liberal? And, uh, of a, you know, you got you get all different types of considered labels, liberals. And, well, uh, well, you know, I myself have always made a distinction between a liberal and a radical leftist. And I yeah. notice a lot of my brethren do not. They lump them all in together because yeah, and, and, uh, and like, a liberal is a clear-thinking American citizen. Uh, they mm-hmm. just happen to be left of center. And that's their American right to be there. But yeah. Radical leftists, that, that, that's how I uh, deal with, with yeah. uh, them. You know, and, we just and, give and them the Bronx cheer. They get the Bronx cheer. Anyway, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Daryl. 
and, and, and uh, Trump is not a radical leftist. And, and what I've been talking to a lot of people in the African-American community about Trump, and a lot of uh, people are getting, especially the African-American, are getting their news from the main line, the main, li- main line uh, news, like CNN and MSNBC. And, you know, I've heard, like, well, Trump is going to get us out of the country, and Trump is going to destroy uh, African-Americans, and how African-Americans are going to jail, and Trump gets elected, and all this, this crazy stuff. And, and, and I tell people that we have to, and I tell people that are for voting uh, citizens that we have to investigate our politicians more. We have to, you know, not just get to watch CNN or MSNBC or even Fox News. We have to really look online and read about the policies of these individuals. And, um, you know, for me, it was between, I tell people this, if it was me between Trump and Hillary Clinton, I'm supporting Donald Trump. And uh, okay, Daryl. All right, listen. I want to thank you. I want to thank you very much. I gave you your uh, few minutes of fame here on this. Um, (laughs) We just wanted to report, Daryl and myself. It looks like this uh, rally we were going to have for Trump and Trenton is is we are going to cancel it. Uh, Daryl may want to go it alone. I don't know if he does. I'll try and help him. But listen, Daryl. Thank no, you very I'm, I'm much. Definitely you not gonna, uh, I'm definitely not going. I'm definitely not going. The rally is over. I can't do it by myself. Okay. It just, it's just, All right. Can, can you please take uh, a post down on Facebook then? Oh, yeah. Oh, or else write that they can't. So, all right, Daryl, we have to go. Thank you very much, brother. Yep. Okay. Ms. Alcoff, the floor is yours. Thank you so much for your I... patience. <laughs> Oh, that was only oh, five I, minutes of pro-Trump speech. I can put up with five minutes. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I, I knew Daryl was pro-Trump, but I thought we were going to talk more about the rally that we that was canceled. Um, I was I was I was a bit surprised that he even came out with Trump. But but God bless him. God bless America. Uh, Daryl uh, lives down in Trenton. Uh, he has a big following in the black community with good cause because he's the real McCoy. And, um, uh, you know, again, I, I promised him a few minutes. But Trump notwithstanding, all that's off the table. Uh, when I just wanted to tell you, ma'am, that when Ruben gave me a list of your credentials, I must say they are quite impressive. We rarely have such an esteemed professor and Ph.D. on our program, and welcome aboard. The floor is yours. How would you like well, to initiate well, well, your uh, guesting? Uh, or Ruben, you go. Hold on, hold on. Yeah, I wanted to say that the, one of the reasons that I invited uh, Linda to, to our program is because when I read her article, I was taken back. And I, I think uh, it definitely uh, opened up my eyes on 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 different different aspects of of what Hispanic is all about. But based on on Mark has said, the credentials are there, uh, very impressive, and and I I, I I welcome you to our program. Thank you, thank you. Well, what what uh what took you back um, from the article? I assume you're referring to the article that was on the uh, National Council on. Um, the National Committee on the what is it the NCIS well, policy right. group? It's the uh, National Hispanic Latino Policy. Yeah, it's, a, right. it's in regards to uh, basically the um, the uh, what, Latino as whiteness, the future of Latinos as uh, the category of whiteness. And and uh, I've been I've been a very uh, I've been trying to educate people on the different aspects of uh, of Hispanic, especially within the Anglo community and even the African-American community um, because there's, there's a real, real, uh, there's a lot of ignorance out there uh, on it um, mm-hmm. because Hispanic, first of all, Hispanic is not a race. Uh, Hispanic is an ethnicity that we come in so many different colors and different, from different parts of the world. But one of the parts that I, that I always uh, bring up to a lot of Hispanics is, well, um, I don't like the word Hispanic. Um, I'm Latino, and I'm like, well, if you have some Spanish uh, or European ancestry, like I do, um, um, 
yeah, you are of a Hispanic. Uh, Hispanic is the right term to use. Um, I mean, I just found out, I did my uh, ancestry DNA. I, I knew because of my father's side um, that I have Irish, I have, um, uh, uh, you know, Greek, Italian, and, 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 and Finland. In my in my blood. <laughs> oh, that Ruben! Oh my God! I, as a matter of fact, I have more of that than I have of being Spanish. Um, which, oh, which I found well, he, you know, here's what happened: someone in your family had their way with an Irish slave back in the day, because a lot well, of the Irish were slaves. My, my great well, well they no, were no, indentured great... servants. They were indentured servants, uh, not exactly oh. the same as slaves. Well, my great my great grandfather was uh, was a very very um, well to do. He was a uh, he was originally a, a, a Sephardic Jew, uh, which he was forced to convert to Christianity because uh, they were going to kill him. So he fled to Portugal. Mm-hmm. Oh, this was during the uh, during the uh, Inquisition, Ruben. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so I mean, but I I think he traveled in different parts of the world because what how ancestry comes about is that you give you give your DNA and your DNA matches up with millions and millions of people all over the world, and and it came back, uh, and also I, I said to myself, well you know um, I do have I do have this I have cousins in different parts of the world uh, that I don't even know. So I started looking into it, and and and, and I'm getting in contact with them, uh, you know, third cousins, more cousins. So the the part that that really, and I enjoy reading your article is that uh, it's the categories and what makes a uh, a Hispanic. I don't like to use the the word term Latino. I like to use the term Hispanic. Uh, why are they white or black or, or indigenous or mixed? So it was very intriguing, and I said, I think our audience and our students, because we have a lot of we have a lot of students listening to the program, uh, Linda. Um, mm-hmm. So that's the reason I said to invite you on the program. Well, thank you. Yeah, I mean, I'm a philosopher, so I'm always interested in how these concepts get thrown around and used a lot, but we don't always define them, you know, very carefully. So when people talk about Latinos becoming white, I mean, there's two questions there. The question you just spoke to is what is it what is the category Latino or Hispanic even mean? And we also have to ask the question of what does whiteness mean because it's it's not actually so clear-cut either. I mean, it's it's obvious that there's a lot of different you know, racial groups that that are seen as racial groups from the perspective of the United States or Europe that are included within the category of Hispanic or Latino, right? We come in all colors um, and have backgrounds. I, I have a background similar to yours. I'm I'm Latino. I'm Irish. I'm North African. I'm a big mix, like most yeah. Latinos are. But although some are not so mixed, right? Some are some are right. Asian. Some you know some family came from Asia. So, uh, but that means that it's also kind of difficult to talk about Hispanic or Latino as unethnicity, because that kind of presumes that it is a singular. Ethnicity, and usually when we talk about ethnicities, we talk about more specific, like Norwegian or Scandinavian or Slavic or, you know, some more specifiable group, whereas Hispanic is also, you know, covers an impossibly large collection of different ethnicities, but you know that these categories make sense in in the context of the United States. I mean, everybody that has some lineage to Latin America sort of gets put in the category of Hispanic or Latino, no matter what right. what you look like or you know what your ethnicity is. If you if you have some lineage from the United from Latin America, um, which includes Brazil, where you know which is a 
a Portuguese-speaking country, but right. still, <laughs> you're you're classified as Hispanic. the The history of that term is interesting because in the mid '60s, when there were waves of immigrations finally allowed to happen from Latin America, the government decided that they couldn't use all the different terms that we use for ourselves. Like we often t- talk about ourselves as Puerto Ricans or Dominicans or Cubans or whatever, but they didn't like that. They wanted one term that would cover all all of us, and so they consulted the king of Spain to find out what that term should be, which kind of boggles your mind. I mean, why would they consult the king of Spain to tell us what to call people from Latin America? But it was it was the king of Spain who actually said, don't use the term Latino because it might be confused with Ladino, which is a particular ethnic group in Central America. It didn't make a whole lot of sense. But So he thought the term Hispanic should be used. So so officially by the U.S. government since that time, we we that's the official designation is Hispanic. But on the East Coast, a lot of us prefer the term Latino, as I do. But it's, it's you know, to some extent it's a bogus category. It's just a made-up category because the U.S. government wanted one term to cover all of us. So you might ask, why? Why did they need to lump us all together, you know? Why did they need well, to to uh, to have one term instead of just letting us use the terms that we use ourselves? My 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 well, my, my who uh, does that, the Ruben? That, so the, no, the reason I think the, the government basically wanted us to be bunched up all together and not be declassified. Just we we're gonna label label you this way, like they tend to do. They label everything. You know, you're 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 this, you're that. Uh, and and that's what you are. You're not anything else. And and I think I think that that was the intention, basically to just classify you and make sure that you didn't have a you didn't have a voice. That's what you're going to be. Yeah, it seems like it's sort of population management control. You know, <laughs> sort yeah. of yeah. to have. To have it more easily, but I think it also I think it it also has to ha, goes back to sort of the way that Northern Europeans viewed Spain and viewed uh, Latin America as sort of pre-modern cultures that were Catholic. Um, they were less civilized, less cultural, um, you know, less advanced technologically, less advanced scientifically. So there was a certain kind of what we today call cultural racism against um, all of Latin cultures, generally Latin cultures, which would include Italians and Greeks. The way we talk about those cultures today sometimes carries the same stigma. We think Italians, Greeks, the Spaniards, they're just not as hardworking. They're not as – they're lazier than the – Good, hardworking Protestant, Northern European, clean-cut, you know, sort of. So there's this kind of view, and that meant that um, all of the different, and you know, today in Europe they use this term "pigs" um, to refer to Portugal, Italy, Greece, and Spain. It's a very right. derogatory term. You know what, ma'am, ma'am? Can I tell you? I believe they're just jealous of the terrific food and menus that we produce. <laughs> and that's the issue. I mean, those guys, all they have is uh, sausages and gravy, for God's sakes. <laughs> I know, and every you vacation, know where do they go on their vacation? They go to the south of Europe, right? Right, right. Well, because, you know, I just want to tell you that I'm a Mediterranean person, you know, mm. which includes North Africa, Malta, Southern Italy and Southern France. That's where my four grandparents come from. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I, you know, I feel I don't have a lot in common with Central Europeans and especially Northern Europeans. Uh, I, I know, and and the point that I always try to make, and when we're having this type of discussion, is just look at Italy for an example of what we're talking about. The difference from uh, what, what we call the Sicilianos to, say, right. the northern Italians or even the Florentines or the Romans. 
the difference yes. of just one nation of different types of white people uh, it demonstrates, well, the same thing goes on in Central America. The same thing goes on in West Africa. You know, we call people African-Americans. Well, that goes from Togo all the way down to Cape Town, uh, you know, all down the Western African coast. Uh, so, yes, uh, it, 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 to me, it's all marvelous, by, by the way. We're all the same, but we're all different. I'm sorry to yeah, interrupt, but I, I had to throw that no, in there. It's the most I, interesting discussion. I think, you know, and I think labels are useful. You know, I'm not against all labels um, or all sort of categories. Uh, I mean, a lot of Latinos in the United States will, you know, do both ends. We'll say, like I'll say, I'm Panamanian-American and I'm Latina. So we don't have to pick only one. We can still use our more specific label, but then we can recognize that we're part of this bigger label. And, you know, you're talking about being Mediterranean. This is a new concept that's used a lot now by historians and cultural um, analysts who are looking, because they can see that Mediterranean cultures have much more in common with each other, even from North Africa and Southern Europe, than they do with Northern Europe and Eastern Europe, just as you said. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense to talk about Mediterranean cultures. Um, so the question is, why don't we talk about Mediterranean cultures? Why did we have this concept of Europe? Why do we have this concept of Hispanic? Who, who came up with those labels? Are those the most useful ones? Are they really descriptive of you know, our reality and our histories? and our connections with each other. Um, so can we participate in the business of coming up with labels? Can we democratize the process of labeling uh, so that it's not just the king of Spain who gets to decide what to call us? So I'm not against all labels, but I think we need to look at the history of some of the existing labels and um, – think about where some of them might need to be revised, right, um, right. or changed. But, but Linda, I, have, I, I do have a um, – one of the things that I've experienced uh, within the Hispanic community is the lack of knowledge of where they come from uh, or, or their history. I mean, they, they're they, – and I'm not trying to generalize, but I would say a great, a great number of them – they believe, okay, I'm from Puerto Rico, I'm from Dominican Republic, I'm from uh, Colombia, and that's it. You know, they, 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 they don't feel like there's a need for them to do what I have done or some or you've done, um, tracing back their, their ancestry. Uh, they don't find it that that's not important. You know, I mean, I, I, growing up, my, my dad, my parents told me, about history, but as I got older, I wanted to find out more about it. So, are you suggesting? Well, I—I mean, one of the phenomena sometimes you have uh, among many Latinos uh, is an unwillingness to acknowledge our African ancestors. Even our African like grandmothers, right? It doesn't have to start really that far back sometimes. But there's still an un unwillingness to go back beyond the immediate nationality, you know, that our parents came from and see that we're part African or we're part Native American or indigenous. Um right. is that what you is that the kind of thing that you're talking about? No, I'm referring to I mean, even within my own family, they they just believe that it's not important to find out about, you know, their ancestry if it has to do with African, you know, being from Africa or from the from uh, the Middle East or from Europe. Then they're just their concept is well, their belief is I'm from, let's say I'm from Puerto Rico, and and that's it. I, I, I I don't know anything else, and I don't really care mm -hmm. about knowing anything else. That's the, that's the sense that I get. When I, well, when I, 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 don't, I don't know that that's always from ignorance. I think there can be two reasons for that kind of view. One is that um, 
you know, people who who were brought to Puerto Rico as slaves, they don't know about their past in Africa. And so it's kind of a, you know, a a kind of strategy of survival to just say, okay, I don't know, but that's not important anyway, right? So it's nothing that hurts me, the fact that I don't know. It's not important anyway. Sometimes it's that kind of a strategy. But now that we have genetic testing, you know, you can find out more than, I mean, this is new. This is very recent. That we could, we could, you know, my son went on ancestry. dot com and 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 did it, and it, it's it's interesting. I mean, for eighty it bucks, is. <laughs> you can. It, it, it is. Yeah, it but is. you know, I have to have to warn you. I have to warn you. I was on ancestry. dot com, and I know the roots of of my last name, and I put my last name into ancestry. dot com, and they were wrong. Mm. They said the roots but, of my name were Italian. And that I dropped the E. My last name is Falzon. When uh, the name used to be spelled F A L C O N with a French grammatical thing, Priscilla, or something like that, underneath the C to soften it. So I know the name isn't Italian, and Ancestry.com told me it was Italian. So well, I just want to tell the audience uh, just you got to be careful with these sites. No, no, but Mark, Mark, this is totally different. They take, they take actually your DNA. Oh okay. no, no, I, yeah, that that is ironclad. That is ironclad, yeah, and that, you know, that, and and I'm definitely it, gonna have to do that. I gotta, you, you really piqued my interest in doing that, Ruby. <laughs> it, it, it takes about it takes about eight weeks for the whole processing. To uh, my wife just did it. She just got her results. And you know, and and she she has more Spanish than I do, but she also has British in her in her background, and uh, so it, it basically one of the things that 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 really um, most people that I that I know don't really you know they don't really care about that, and I, I, maybe I'm I'm, I'm strange I'm, or we're strange that we actually do this. Well, it's interesting, isn't it, to know where you've come from? Uh, If someone isn't interested in that, I'd have to ask them why. I know. I I have, and it's basically their their, their answer, most of them have said to me, I'm from from this uh, this country, and that's it. I don't really need to know where my ancestors came from. Well, anyway, I'll tell you, I'm interested because I suspect I have uh, black folks in my bloodline because we have a genetic glaucoma in our family. And when I was going through the testing, I'm, I'm at the foothills myself. My father had it very severely. Um, one of the questions uh, for the uh, presence of glaucoma was, are you black? Apparently a lot of black people have it. And, uh, more so than white folks. So here I am. I have it in my family line. You know, my father had it. I'm at the foothills. Um, so I suspect I have black somewhere in my bloodline, and so it goes, you know. Yes, it, it can be. I mean, some people think that, like, you know, Henry Louis Gates, that it's going to be a solution to racism because if more as more people do their um, DNA testing, they're going to find out that they're not pure white. I mean, a lot of Latinos even think that they're pure Spaniards and find out, well, the Spaniards, you know, lived with the North Africans for hundreds and hundreds of years. So the pure Spaniards are often, you know, Jewish, as you found out, um, Muslim. And, you know, so, but I'm, I'm not sure that it will have that, impact on everybody but i think the other the other reason why people might say look i'm just puerto rican and that's all i am is because that's what's important in their lives and in their communities and in their families they're connected to a puerto rican community they know the culture the music the religion the language and uh the neighborhood and that's meaningful in their lives today. It was meaningful in their parents' lives, and, and they hope it will be meaningful 
in their kids' lives, whereas some connection to, you know, something way far away, way far back doesn't seem to have the same, you know, meaningful uh, uh, relevance for the way they live today and who they feel they are alike, who they feel they can trust, who they feel they have some commonalities with. So I, I don't think there's any correct, absolutely correct way to label ourselves. I mean, there's incorrect ways, you know, when, when Latinos deny their um, racial mix, uh, if they have racial mix, as most do. So I think there's incorrect ways, but there's no one correct way to label ourselves. And the ways we choose to label ourselves are the ones that help us explain our world and help us navigate, you know, the societies and the cities we live in, navigate the racism against us. When there's this cultural racism against all Latinos as being backward and primitive, pre-modern and so forth, you know, it creates a need to be a part of a community in which you're not going to find that, right? You're not going to find that kind of attitude toward Latinos in Latino communities, hopefully as much as you find it in, you know, Anglo, North, Northern European type communities. So it's a, it's a kind of strategy of resistance, a strategy of survival, a, a strategy to, to be able to understand what's going on and why there's prejudice against you and and who you can rely on or trust. I mean, sometimes you find out that trust is misplaced. Um, you can have Latino leaders that sell people out all the time, but but right. it's 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 that kind of a, a shorthand you know, judgment call we make, well, maybe this person will understand. Maybe this person won't be prejudiced against the sound of Spanish and won't, uh, you know, want to support English-only laws. Um, maybe this person will uh, treat my community, you know, better. And so it's it's useful. Well, Linda, one of the things that I, when I was, Reading your article, you you made a point about, and, and I'll read I'll, I'll read the, the 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 point that I'm trying to get to to mention to everyone. You said the central point here is that whiteness has been legally defined racial identity with privilege ensured by the state. Given this history, attempting to be classified as white is a strategy to gain entrance to the privilege or dominant race. I. I have never looked at, I have never looked at that in that way. Uh, do you think a lot of uh, his, Hispanics tend to look at that? Being, they want to classify themselves as white because they they're part. They want to be part of the privileged or dominant race. Because I can tell you, I've traveled throughout this country, and if you go to the Appalachian Mountains, uh, and you got some of these these. Uh, Rednecks out there—they're—they're—they're they're they're living in pretty poor conditions. I don't yes. consider that privilege. Right, I know the category of whiteness is just as um, big, you know, a, d- a diverse collection of people as right. any other category. I mean, there's there's people who are extremely poor. There's, uh, you know, uh, in the United States, and so when we talk about White people, we we can't assume all white people are privileged. A lot of them work at Walmart. A lot of them don't have union jobs. A lot of them had their homes foreclosed on in 2008. So um, it's it's what the ancient Greek philosophers called the problem of the one and the many. How do you like <laughs> have one category that covers so many differences? But despite the fact that there's extreme poverty among white people as well as some wealth. There's still um, a long history of laws in the United States that created protections and set-asides for whites. In 1790, one of, the, one of the first laws that the Congress passed after the revolution when the United States became independent was they had to decide who can become a citizen 
because um, there were lots of immigrants coming in, and they uh, uh, passed a law that said you could become a citizen of the United States if you were free and white. So whiteness uh, became uh, a necessary criterion in order to become a citizen. So no, nobody from Asia could, nobody from Africa, they just weren't allowed to be citizens. And since that time, there were laws about who could testify in court, only white people. There were laws about homesteading, that you could claim land as your property if you mixed your labor with the land, but that only applied to white people. There were uh, labor law protections. It was legal for early labor unions to not have any non-white members of the labor unions. And that was a law, that, that was a rule that was protected by the state. Um, there were, it was legal to uh, discriminate in housing, as we know. You could, have, um, you could sell houses to only white people and never sell them to non-white people, and the state uh, protected that law. So despite, so, you know, there's a real question about whether any of those laws helped poor whites, but whiteness was something that was defined by the laws of the United States, and it was protected by the laws of the United States. Okay, now, haven't all, those, haven't all those matters been addressed and reconciled? Well, that's what we're fighting over today, um, whether, you know, uh, the segregation we see in our cities and the fact that so many people of color live in such terribly poor neighborhoods. I mean, have we solved the housing problem? And with with um, so many police um, uh, shooting um, uh, black and Latino people with impunity and not going to jail, you know, there's a real – and the voting fraud issues, the voting – the supposed voter fraud issues and this – suppression of voter rights issues. So, you know, legally it is not formally legal to discriminate in housing and in police treatment or in voting. And yet there seems to be a lot of sort of de facto discrimination. It's tr it's not true in law, but it's true in fact. That, well, you um, know, I, I always now... In in the 21st century, um, I've taken off the racial glasses, and I look at things now through uh, glasses called class, economic class, and uh, because there's no other explanation for so many poor whites, there's no explanation for uh, now blacks who are succeeding and uh, realizing the American dream. Uh, the lines seem to be melding, and, and that's why I look at now, like you're talking about blacks in the inner cities. Well, there's lots of whites and Spanish, Latino people in the inner cities also. Uh, I know uh, I myself came out of the slums in New York City. Our closest family friends were a Puerto Rican family on one side and a Cuban family on the other. So, uh, you know, I understand the differences within the Latino community. But I look at things now, I'm telling you, just think about that after the show. Look at it through class lenses because a wealthy black person will be accepted anywhere and, and everywhere as long as they're putting up the plastic and writing checks and handing out the cash. All the doors are open to them. Uh, just like well, all the doors are closed to the white guy who doesn't have the plastic checks and money. Go ahead. Well, I, I, I have to, before, Linda, before, I just want to mention, you mentioned three things. You mentioned the uh, the voter fraud, uh, voter suppression. You know, every, and I've traveled quite a bit um, through Europe and through Latin America, and uh, in Latin American countries, in order for you to vote, you need a picture ID. Okay, so that that that's very clear. I mean, I, you know, I know certain party likes to push that, 
you know, uh, voter fraud, but, but you know, that party has, has had a long history of voter fraud since 1960 when in Chicago people were voting who were dead. So, uh, you know, I mean, when we get on a plane today or where, we need a picture ID. So that, I have a problem with that, uh, and I've always had a problem with that because I don't have a problem showing my picture ID. Mm-hmm. If you're basically legal and a U.S. citizen, you should be should not have a problem with that. Second, the the the, the living conditions of Hispanics and blacks in the inner cities for 50 years. That certain political party has controlled ma- major urban cities, and the situation. And I, and I, I didn't grow up, and I'm not trying to be better than anyone. I didn't grow up in the slums. I grew up on the Upper West Side, uh, you know, in a nice neighborhood, right off Central Park West. Okay, uh, but I noticed that in that in, in New York City, which is I lived all my life there. The areas where Hispanics and blacks were living, they kept voting for the same person, and they kept living in the same conditions. So I think it has to do more than just color and race, but basically they have allowed themselves to be taken by these corrupt politicians who, like you said, they'll take advantage of you even if they're – they're Hispanics. That's all mm-hmm. I had to say. Well, look, I think class is incredibly important. But if we can't understand really how class works without bringing it together with race and with gender. I mean, you go into any nursing home in New Jersey. I defy you. Go into a nursing home in New Jersey and tell me who are the doctors who are the RNs, who are the LPNs, the licensed practical nurses, who are the nurse aides, who's in uh, dietary, who's in the cafeteria working, who's mopping the floors. You're going to see a race-based, ethnic-based division of the labor market that goes way back in this country. And you see it in universities where I work. You see it in nursing homes. You see it in factories where I used to work. You see it in, you know, a a lot of um, different kinds of workspaces. And there's poor whites working at, you know, low low, um, wage jobs, but they're often in a different sector of the labor market than others. So I think it's, you know, it's not, it's, it's not that it, like it used to be only one racial group has this labor market, but you see a strong correlation of racial and ethnic identities with the kinds of jobs people do. I mean, who are construction workers, um, who are taxi drivers. So we, ha- we, ha- we can't like think that we can understand how class works and not understand and, and not bring in, in the issue of race and ethnicity because it's about history, right? It's about the history of colonialism and the, the history of cultural racism and the way different people were viewed um, to really understand it. I mean, I think it is changing today. And um, that's part of what's going on in, in the United States. There's more white workers who are, their incomes have been dropping since the 1970s. They've been on a decline path. And that didn't used to be the case. Um, they're, generally speaking, even among white working class people, they, before the 1970s, could figure that their children were going to do better than they did. They could own a home. They could maybe send their kids to college. They could deal with financial crises. None of that is true anymore for the white working class. So that's what's changed is that the white class is worse off now than they used to be compared to other groups. And that's what's creating, you know, some of the animosity. But 
part of the, I think, the Trump um, appeal is the idea that the white working class doesn't deserves to be better off than other racial groups rather than throwing in their lot with them and trying to all get better off, right? So there's worries about how am I doing as a white person vis-a-vis that Puerto Rican person? Why has that Puerto Rican person got a better job than me and they're Puerto Rican, right? So the resentment is based on sometimes their racial or ethnic identity. Like they don't have a right to be making more money because just because they're Puerto Rican. Right? Well, I think I think I think the media has a lot to do with that. The media likes to push that 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 narrative around. Well, but, it's just but, it's just an old part of US history, the idea that this country is essentially a European country. It's mainly built by Europeans, which of course is not true that its political institutions came from Europe, which is not entirely true. Actually, the U.S. Constitution was inspired in part by Native Americans who had um, the idea of federated systems like the Iroquois Nation that didn't, that had, that's where Jefferson got the idea of the United States. But it's this idea that Europe, that Europeans created this country, built this country, gave this country democracy and good political and legal institutions, and therefore European Americans should be at the front of the line. They should take the credit. They should be the the main beneficiaries of the wealth of this country. And that's well, just wow, not you true. Well, you take a pessimistic view of um, working white folks, because you are correct, and probably a small percentage of the Trump supporters feel the way you do. But uh, I would put my money on a large percentage of the white voters realizing that the GOP all along has been facilitating and cooperating with the radical left wing of the Democrat Party. And what we're seeing is a peaceful revolution occurring because now many people realize uh there's no difference between the Democrats and the Republicans. So Donald Trump, the true outsider, is succeeding. Uh, whether he becomes president or not, we'll see. But uh, that's a large part of the Trump electorate, is we feel betrayed by the political system, both Democrats and Republicans. And I don't think it has anything to do with race. It, it, it has to do with this betrayal and the pillaging of the treasury by both parties. Okay, well, I'm done. <laughs> uh, I, I, I have to go back. I have to go back to Linda. I have to go back to the point of the fact that New York City, New York City, which I hold to my heart. I mean, I, I love New York City, but New York City is a segregated city and has been controlled by a certain party. Uh, and the, the the poverty rate has increased under the control of this political party. So, and if you look at major cities, that's the same case. So what we're talking about here is the fact that the reason you see, you still see so many different classes of people uh, working and doing the labor work is because in these Major urban cities, they don't have any power. Look at look at look at New York City. They they voted for this mayor. A large percentage of Hispanics were were voted for him, and and, and not even one third of of the people he hired are Hispanic. We had we had someone on our show that uh, an activist who basically said, you know, the Democratic Party and 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 the mayor have let us down. They've been letting you down for so many years, and you still keep voting for the same people. Yeah. No, I, I'm no fan of the Democratic Party. You you won't find a defender of the Democratic Party here. Um, so I I think I hear what you're saying, and I and I also think that the um, the anger among the white working class at at being betrayed is legitimate. You know, if you certainly in the sense of being betrayed 
because people's economic livelihood is is really in trouble now. And, you know, their children can't get jobs and can't get jobs with with any kind of security anymore. Everybody's subcontracted out with no union jobs and it's 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 really a problem. But the difference I think is in what the the solution is. So there's legitimate uh, grievances, resentment, sense of betrayal, but there's differences between Trump and Sanders, for example, over what the solution is. I think what Trump is offering is a kind of um, nationalist capitalism, right? He wants a capitalism without much government regulation, but one that will be that will be focused on U.S. jobs, uh, U.S economic interests, you know, not negotiate away the store to um, in the TPP or these other trade deals that have, that have been happening. And, um, you know, there's a real question over whether nationalist capitalism is trustworthy, whether uh, the white working class is going to be um, uh, bamboozled once again by claims. I mean, Trump is, you know, he's, he subcontracts out his workforce in his fancy hotels in South Florida. He has holdings all over the world. He doesn't really operate as a nationalist mm. himself, and he, you I know, agree. he 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 wants to get cheap labor. And um, the interest that capitalists have in getting the cheapest workers they can get, you know, leads them to hire people who are new immigrants who are ununionized, who are undocumented, who are the most, um, you know, oppressed and can't demand higher wages or secure, you know, jobs and so forth. So I, I just don't trust the nationalist bourgeois, the nationalist cap- capitalism to really, they don't have the interest <laughs> of working class. Bourgeoisie, <laughs> yes, bourgeoisie. Remember that old word? Uh-oh, but you be can't careful, the Marxist slip could be that's, showing there, Linda. Of course, of course. <laughs> Marx wasn't wrong about everything. He was right about a lot. But but the, <laughs> but the, but we need something. We need you know. We we. I'm not saying that we need something like the Soviet Union. I think it was. Um, not a good model for us to follow. But the point is we can't trust the business leaders like Trump to do anything for the poor or for the working class in this country. And I think Sanders offers a very different analysis that it is that yeah, class. Yeah, but ma'am, Sanders, that ma'am. It's that class that's got us into this problem. It is that class yeah, but that has ma'am, been ma'am, stealing oh, please, us Linda, lines. Bernie Sanders, you know, you know what I've said on this show numerous times, that because we are students for a better future radio, and I've mentioned to the students that if you bust tables, if you've waited tables, if you've worked in a fast food restaurant, you have more economic experience than Bernie Sanders. I'm sorry. I would every day of the week and twice on Sundays go with the nationalist capitalist over <laughs> an unaccomplished socialist like Bernie Sanders. He, he would be in over his head from day one. And, well, let me let me tell you uh, why I'm, I disagree. I'm sorry, I just feel that I way. I mean, let me let me tell you why I disagree. I think we've we've come to this kind of thinking in the United States that what we don't need a president, we don't need somebody with a political vision of the society. We need a manager, right? We need a boss, and so we we think of ourselves as electing a boss. We don't, but that's the wrong way to think about the government. It's the wrong way to think about political leadership. Political leaders are those who will have a hand in choosing good managers. Managers can be hired, but you can't hire somebody with a political vision of what this country is about and where it should move in the future. So it's judgment that we need at the top, not efficiency management skills. I mean, really, you know, it's it's like there's no democracy there. If we're if we want to choose somebody who's got management skills, 
I mean, we, we, we might as well, you know, just pack up the house and not call well, this a democracy anymore. Yeah, but the problem is we haven't. This is in hiring but people is, with solid management a, skills at the top. That's the we're, issue. We're not, we're not a democracy. We are a constitutional republic. Constitution, yeah. Constitutional republic, that's what we are. And people keep saying democracy. We're not a, we're, we're, it's not mob, majority mob rule. In this right. Country. But let me let me let me let me let me tackle uh, something besides Trump and and, and Sanders. In Latin America, uh, you had in, in your article about that you have traveled, you've lived in Mexico, you lived in Argentina, and as you are well aware, I've traveled in South America also. Uh, in Latin America, the people who have the power are the ones with of European background, did you get that impression? Yes, absolutely. There's a there's a colorism. I have, actually haven't lived in Argentina or Mexico. I visited various places, okay. but there's a there's what's often called a colorism in many parts of Latin America, in which it's lighter is better, right? So you don't have so there's not the same definition of white, but if you're lighter skinned. Um, and uh, you you can trace your family to Spain, then you have kind of advantages, and that goes way back when when uh, the Latin America was colonized by the Spanish. The Spanish gave Spanish settlers big tracts of land called latifundias or gamonales in some places. They just and gave the viceroys. Yeah, yeah, they just gave them these big plantations, and everybody who was living there then suddenly became a serf that had to pay tribute or taxes to these landowners. So it's the reason why this light-skinned elite continues to control economic and political power goes back 500 years. Um, hold on. Let me turn that off. <laughs> Sorry. Um so yeah, there is this this colorism throughout Latin America, but it's it, so it's not that Latin America is uh, a model, but I would say that in many parts of Latin America, although maybe you have to use picture ideas, I don't know if that's everywhere. You can vote on Sunday, right? They they do a lot of weekend voting. This is this is a lot of places around the world. So people who work don't have to figure out how the hell they're going to get to the voting booth on a work day. And when they have to, well, you know, pick, take the kids to daycare or to school or whatever. So you know, right. we had 125,000 people in New York that weren't allowed to vote in the primary. It should be, it's a scandal. That's right, voter but, suppression. But, but voter suppression, voter suppression, uh, when, 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 when it, they're asked to provide ID. I mean, if you go to Venezuela, or not Venezuela, Colombia or Peru, you have to present uh, uh, an ID in order to vote, picture ID. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't see why, why the problem. I, I understand why they're pushing it, but you know, it's it's really not necessary uh, for them to say that that voter suppression because you know they can get an id a picture id to get on a plane they can get a voter id to even some states yeah yeah but it's not just but but it's not just about the picture id it's also about needing to register for the primary six months in advance it's also about if you were ever in prison you can never vote for the rest of your life it's also about people who have changed addresses i mean i have family in new york who weren't allowed to vote without signing an affidavit, even though they've lived in the same residence for like more than 20 years, but somehow they, they had the books you wrong. You definitely have valid points, Linda, about uh, especially voting on the weekends. I'd be all for that. But you know what? We only have less than a minute left. Linda, thank you so much. It, I think we had a great discussion this evening. Oh, definitely. Ruben, thank you. Yeah, we are studentsforabetterfuture.com. Thank you, Linda. Uh, Linda, do you have a website me. or anything you want to yes. promote, ma'am? Uh, alcoff.com. All right. Yeah. Thank, thank you again. Okay, thank okay, you. Okay, thank you. Uh, it, was, it was a great show. Uh, you'll, you'll have to come back because this was a hell of a discussion. 
Thank you very much. And everyone with students for studentsforabetterfuture.com, a 501c3 led by Doreen Finkel. Good night. Good night.